kings will, will work to establish their legacy while living. And I noted that there are three means by which they do that. One, through conquest, conquering other nations. Another is through their building programs, building structures and building statues to themselves that are as monuments to be remembered. And then thirdly, through their governing, governing policies, uh, shape a community or shape a, a, a society that will last for generations. Jesus did all of these things, not before he died, but after death, as only he can do. Senior Pastor George Martin Jr. explains how he reigns after death in Revelations 19, verses 11 through 14 and 16. Let's listen as Pastor Martin explains. So today we want to we want to endeavor to help to lift up the kingship of Christ, but us, but also to contrast how he reigns, but also that which makes him significant. Most kings of the past have endeavored to establish a lasting legacy of influence while they were reigning. They were trying to establish, many were trying to establish something that could still be experienced and remembered even after their death. Some of them have pursued great conquests conquering nations and going to expand their kingdom. Others have, while others have engaged in great building projects, building statues and, and structures that they would hope and temples that they would hope that would, would continue to create an experience even after their death. Still others have gone about establishing certain customs and policies that they would hope that will solidify their legacy. Now, the thing about it is each one of these cases, they did that while they were alive, hoping to establish something that would last even after their death. Although different in their approaches, each one endeavoring to accomplish the same objective. Now, the key is they all do this while alive and occupying their throne. Striving while alive to establish something that will last after their death. However, Jesus, in contrast, the great king who built a legacy first and foremost with his life. He lived a sinless life, a perfect life among men. He taught things that men had never heard before. So he established through his teachings a great legacy. The miracles and the lives that he touched, the people that would even as he stepped out, and this was referred to last week during worship, that he stepped out on the, 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 the deck of a boat and declared to the sea and the wind that they needed to be still. And those who stood back in astonishment said, what kind of man is this? That even the wind and the seas obey. So he, but here is the thing. 
he built the greatest monument to his life, not in his living, but in his dying and rising again. Because one of the things that we see when we look back historically, we find that some of the Egyptians, the Egyptian uh, rulers begin to, to question or wonder about the afterlife and, and thought, hey, you know, here's the thing. I want to look pretty and I want to be rich in the next life. So they built these massive tombs to put riches in and put treasure in because, and then they wrapped themselves and mummified themselves to preserve themselves. That even after death, they might have a chance to reign. But there's only one king who said it this way. He says, no one's going to take my life. I'm going to lay it down. And then he said, but here's where this thing gets, gets good. He said, because other kings before me, they've died. And some have hoped to live again, and, and they've done all they could do to try to establish an opportunity for that. He says, but here's the thing. I'm going to lay it down, but after three days, I'm going to pick it back up. So he rose, establishing the greatest kingship of all times. Now, when we look here in the text, there's something that I want to point out because John the Revelator is the same John who was one of the disciples. He's the same John who wrote the Gospel of St. John. So when we look here in this text, he's got, God has given him this vision. And here's what John sees. John sees the word king. Because in verse 13, let's look there. In verse 13, here's what he says. He says, he was clothed with the robe that was dipped in blood. And his name is called the word of God. You recall that John from a few weeks ago, John wrote in John chapter 1, the very beginning of his gospel. He says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The same was in the beginning, in the beginning with God. Then he slides down and he says, and the word became flesh, and we, do, we beheld him as the only begotten son of God. So John now, God allows for John to see something. It's amazing this God we serve because he knows what we need to see. He knows what we need to help us to get to where he needs us to be. So what God allows John to see, he allows John to take the revelation that he had been given to write John 1, and to marry it with what he saw when he saw Jesus on the cross, bleeding a bloody death. So he says, he was the one who I spoke of who's called the word of God. But he said he had a robe that had been dipped in blood. The king riding in victorious and glorious. Because last week to celebrate Palm Sunday, we celebrated the humble king 
who came in on a donkey. And as he came in, John records, uh, and he records the, the fact that what was taking place was a fulfillment of prophecy that had been declared hundreds of years earlier that Jesus would come riding in on a donkey. And here's what he said in John 12, 13, 14 and 16. He says, then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it as it was written, verse 15, fear not daughters of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey. The difference though, John sees Jesus coming in as a humble king. But in this vision, he sees him as a glorified, victorious king. Riding high, and here it is, not on a donkey this time, but on a white horse. Now, you need to understand why God gave him this particular vision, because historically, white horses have always been seen as something that transcends that which is normal. You, that's where you get the, the myths of unicorns, white unicorn with a horn sticking out that has special power. Pegasus, the white horse is powerful with the wings because it's always been understood that the, a white horse transcends that which is normal. Riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. In this scene, as a victorious king, he's riding on a white horse. Now, I said this earlier, and stay with me, I'm just establishing myself today, uh, that, that kings will, will work to establish their legacy while living. And I noted that there are three means by which they do that. One, through conquest, conquering other nations, Another is through their building programs, building structures and building statues to themselves that are as monuments to be remembered and to be experienced even after they've died. And then thirdly, through their governing, governing policies, looking to establish certain customs and things that will help to uh, shape a community or shape a, a, a society that will last for generations. So I want to show you something. I want to take you on a journey, a historical journey, and I want to show you how there are three particular kings that engaged one of these in terms of establishing themselves. So I'm going to start with conquest. Conquest, Alexander III of Macedon. You say, well, who was that, Pastor Martin? better known as Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great was known as a great conqueror or he established his legacy, which we all know today because of his conquest. Here's why they called him Alexander the Great. Because in just 13 short years, he expanded and conquested or conquered over a kingdom or established a kingdom that spread some 3,000 miles in just 13 years. So we know about 
Alexander III of Macedon because he was a great conqueror through his conquests, we know him historically. The next one is through building programs. There was a French king by the name of King Louis XIV. King Louis served and he, he actually reigned for the longest period of time, 72 years, longer than any other king. But what he was most known for was he built several very lavish chateaus, huge places to dwell that actually ultimately caused the country to go bankrupt. He was deplenishing all of their resources, trying to build something that would be great enough that he would be remembered. And yet today, you may or may not know who King Louis XIV is. And then finally, through governing, governing policies is another way that kings will work to establish something, some type of system, some culture, some type of policies, or some type of uh, 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 practices that will be extended beyond even their life. That brings us to Gaius, Octavius, Therenus, better known as Caesar Augustus. Caesar served as the first official emperor and first king of Rome. And the uh, policies that he established, they've lasted and have shaped society for years to come. He was the one who established tax incentives for families in that particular day for families to expand their population. He established these tax incentives that if you were, if you had more than three children, you could get tax breaks. Anybody just done their taxes and got some tax breaks? He helped to build and establish through his policies the, the agriculture and Rome. Think about this. The Roman Empire, Rome is a city. And a city conquered the known world through policies. But all of that is for naught if it doesn't have context to why we're here today. Because here is the thing that we just read. Look at verse 16. Jesus, in verse 16, is described thus. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So if I'm going to establish his kingship, I need to then compare him to the kings that I just shared. That leads me to my first point. The king's great building program. I told you that one of the main means by which a king will establish his legacy is through building programs. 
Well, this king, the king of kings, did not interest himself in buildings because he said that you all, you know that the Lord God, he doesn't dwell in structures. He's not interested in buildings. Even one day, the disciples trying to impress him, they were walking past the temple and they said, Master, look how beautiful the temple is. Look how splendid it looks. He says, well, you know, not one stone will be left on another because he wasn't his building program did not consist of building. It consisted of a church. Because here's what happens. He, he's walking with the disciples and he asks them a question. He says, who do men say that I am? They went down the list of what people were saying. It was almost like the, the social media buzz of the day. This is what people are saying about you, Jesus. Then he stops and says, but I'm more interested in those who know me. Who do you say that I am? Yeah. Yeah. Peter steps up and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He says, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but here's what he says. And upon this rock, my building program will be building my church. And the gates of hell should not prevail against it. That Jesus Christ has been building his church, his great, this great king's building project has been the building and the establishing of his church. The next thing, point number two. This king's governing policies, because the policies that transcend time, that the, the way we should function, the operations that should take place, this king says, here's how you should understand how I'm going to reign. He said, first and foremost, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And he said, the rest of my policy is this, love your neighbor as yourself. He said, everything, all of the commandments and all the things that prophets have said, all of those hang on these two. He says, my building project is my church. My governing policy is loving me with all your heart and loving your neighbor as yourself. So his building program is his church. His governing policy is love, loving him and loving neighbor. That guides me to point number three. The uh, ultimate kingly campaign of conquest. Because I said to you that kings established their legacy through building programs, they, through governing policy, but they also established it through conquest. In verse number 12, I don't want you to miss this. Look back at your word. In verse number 12, it says that he had on his head many crowns. Many crowns. So I want to walk you through some of the crowns that were on his, on his head. Because we understand already there was a crown on the cross. There was a crown of thorns on his head. 
But I want to share some of the crowns of conquest. The first one is the first crown that was hanging on his head was the crown of his conquest of sin. Because here's how Hebrews described him. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but who was in all points tempted as we are. But wait a minute. Yet without sin. So, so I had a gentleman who was, 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 he was asking me some questions and he was trying to understand uh, the role of a pastor, but he's also trying to understand whether or not pastors should live right. Wow. <laughs> he had kind of described me as a, as a, as a fat cat. He said, oh, you're one of them fat cat preachers. So well, break down what you mean by fat cat. I mean, those who try to live how on the hog and try to get people's money. So as he bring this into context, I then help him understand that the only means by which I'm able, because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and because this nature that I have has a propensity for wrong that my inclination would to not live right. However, because the one who saved me has already conquered sin and now given me the new nature of his spirit that I too might walk in victory over sin. Because the king, who is the king of kings, Conquered sin. Another crown that was on his head was the crown of his conquest of sorrow. Depending on how you come to the Lord, you may have come through sorrow. But here's the reality that we must face in this lifetime. That everyone, just like every dog has his day, Every life is going to have its storm. And in this life, we will have trouble. Anybody understand when someone says you have either in a storm, coming out of a storm or heading into a storm? Anybody understand the context of that? Because in this life, you have trouble. But this king, conquered sorrow. Because in Revelation, the 21st chapter, verse 4a, here's what it says. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Who is he talking about? Those who have put their faith in Christ Jesus. He said all of the tears that they've cried, he's going to wipe them away. And there shall be no more death or sorrow, no more crying. The songwriter said, no more crying there. When we get to be with, I'm going to see the king, but when I get to see him, there will be no more crying there. So he conquered sorrow. Another crown on his head was the crown of his conquest of suffering. Because that verse four goes on to say in the B portion, there should be no more pain. 
for the former things have passed away. Anybody ever had an ache that you didn't know where it came from? This happened to me. I, you know, you talk about throwing your back out. I was just getting up. You know, I went to get out of the bed and a pain from up here went all the way down here and I couldn't get up. So I slid down and my wife said, are you okay? I kind of think she thought I was having a stroke or something because I was just like, So what's going on? What's going on? I said, I don't know. <laughs> but the pain, couldn't describe it. He eventually went away. It didn't go to the doctor. It just went away. But he says, this king conquered pain and suffering because he says that he wiped away your tears, but he's also going to Wipe away pain, suffering. Can you imagine what that would be like? No more cholesterol pills. No, no, no more high blood pressure. And no, no, no more supplements. No, 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 no more doctor's visits and doctor's appointments. No, no more headaches. No more, no more migraines that you can't describe and explain. It's because this king conquered suffering. Another one of the crowns on his head, he conquered Satan. He conquered the adversary, the one who comes against us, the one who accuses the brethren, the one who is striving, trying to get you to fall. Because here's what Paul says about him in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13 and 14. He says, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and has conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins. The last crown that I must share that he, that he was wearing, he was wearing the crown of his conquest of death. Because the wages of sin is death. We all acknowledge that we all, none of us are perfect, so we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And yet, this king, who's the king of kings, conquered death. Revelation 1 and 18, hear what it says. 
Now, in this, this is Jesus. He's, he's now, this is the introduction. He's, the revelation uh, is begin, begin, beginning to be passed on to John and revealing to him. So he's trying to confirm to John who he is to make sure that John, you know, sometimes, you know, the Lord's speaking to you, you don't know if it's him. You ever had one of those moments like, is that you, Lord, or is that me? No, no, think about this for a moment. Here's John. He's on an island. He's kind of, he's been exiled. He may have thought he was delirious. You know, out there thinking, oh, I think I'm talking, I think God's talking to me. I don't, is that you, God? I don't know. Watch this. To make sure that John understood who was giving him this revelation, in verse 18, here's what it says. Jesus says, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I live forevermore. See, we're celebrating the resurrection today because Jesus was one. He was the king who lived, who died, and now lives forevermore. It's important to understand this because if we're going to celebrate this king of kings and the Lord of lords, he has to be greater than any other king. He has to be bigger than any other king. He has to go beyond any other king's accomplishments to be the king of kings. Okay, here's how I hope to help you understand this. So, we're all here, able-bodied individuals. And depending on certain areas of things in life, some of us may excel in that area more than others. Understood? So, when it comes to physical ability, and you think about, say, athletics, you have all of those who are, like me, want to be NBA players. Really thinking that, hey, it's me. I'm the one until it doesn't go in or until the person takes the ball from you. So I want to be in the NBA. Would have loved to have been skilled enough to do that. But I wasn't. Here's the thing. Those who manage to rise above the rest and make it to the NBA, they are the best. However, within the best is the best. Okay, you're missing it. Those who make it, because the songwriter says millions didn't make it. But I was one of the ones who did. Right. If you apply that to the NBA, many people wanted to be, but don't make it. But here's the thing. To be the king of kings, he can't just be one of the best kings. 
because I shared with you some of the best kings that history has remembered because there were many others that don't get mentioned, but these are some of those who were among the best. But there can only be one king who's a king's king. So here we see that through, he says, I am the one who lived a perfect life, sinless, died an unjust death, but I am the one who rose. And here's the key, don't miss this. The one that not only did he rise, but he lives forevermore. I want to show you something because leading into him coming into Jerusalem, there has been a tragedy in his life. His good friend, Lazarus, his friend's sisters called to Jesus, sent word and said, Jesus, the one whom you love has died or sick. So then the Bible says, and this was interesting because I was looking at this, and, and, and it says that Jesus, because Jesus loved them, he stayed two more days. That jumped off the page. That he, Because when I find out someone is ill that I love, my natural inclination is to rush to where they are. But it says he loved them, so he stayed two more days. As he's coming, Martha sees him, and she runs out. She says, Lord, it's too late. He's already dead. And he says to her, he says, well, Martha, though he's dead, he should live again. She says, yeah, Lord, I know, I know, I know, but you know, I know in the resurrection, but I'm telling you right now he's dead, but I know in the resurrection he will rise again. Jesus says, listen, Martha, I want you to understand something about me. I'm not just one doing something. I am the very essence of that something that I'm doing. He said, I am Martha the resurrection. So when he says here, I'm the one who died, who lived, who died, who rose and lives forevermore, it's important because in order for him to continue to resurrect, he's got to be alive to do the resurrecting. He lives forevermore because he conquered death. I'm, I'm, I'm almost done. So here's the thing. We celebrate Easter. And oftentimes the message of Easter gets lost in all the minutia that presents itself through the marketing of the season. Anyone ever ask yourself, why was there an Easter bunny? Bunnies don't have eggs. But the Easter Bunny got a basket of eggs that he's skipping around 
passing around, passing out. Why eggs? Because ultimately, if we don't make sure to settle that Easter is about the resurrection and not just that Jesus rose from the dead, but that he is the resurrection. Because here's what he promises to you and me, that though we die, we will once again live forever. That wraps up another awesome word. If you're in need of prayer, counsel, or if we can assist in any way, please don't hesitate to ask. If you would like to join, contact us, or receive these and other sermon notes, visit us at amitybc.org. Until next week, be blessed.